UTEP Miners, the Oklahoma Sooners are coming for you, but who's going to start at quarterback? We'll talk about that and more on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. So go over there, hit the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. My name is John Williams. You can find me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can also read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at the Sooners Wire. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. Josh, what's up, man? What's going on, John? We are sneak, sneak, sneaking up. Football season, basically, it's here for Oklahoma. Obviously, we'll get our first uh, peek at the Sooners' opponent this week in UTEP, get a sneak preview there, and then we'll get a little look at Nebraska as well up in uh, Ireland versus Northwestern. we got to wait just a little bit longer for Oklahoma football, but really, it feels like the offseason is now officially behind us, and now we're sort of tick-tocking down to, okay, what is this depth chart ultimately going to look like for Oklahoma? When are we going to get that next week? I, do, what what do we think? I mean, is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? I, I don't know how Clemson, you know, maybe operated in the past or how many ors there's going to be on this new depth chart for Oklahoma. One thing that'll be interesting to look at, and Parker Thune kind of kind of snuck this in there in our taping yesterday was what's quarterback going to look like? And is Jaden Davis, I mean, is he going to be one of those starting guys for the Sooners? I mean, Parker Thune seemed pretty sure that, I mean, he was running with the ones uh, out there in, in fall camp. And that's a, that's a bit of an upset. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of Jaden Davis and he's had some good moments. He's also had some moments where you're like, okay, maybe we need to look at some, look in some other direction, but you don't really have a clear cut defined answer on the other side of Woody Washington. We, we know Woody Washington's going to start at one of the cornerback spots. He's one of your better defenders, dealt with some injuries last year. So the question coming into fall camp, and the question was there in spring camp as well, is who's going to start on the other side. And I think we had several potential options. I mean, DJ Graham, the guy who was the starter there last year, but also had a bit of an up-and-down season. His Oregon game was not good. I mean, just if you look at the tape, if you look at the, the numbers over at Pro, Pro Football Focus – it was just not a good performance for him. Uh, but then you had several guys that transferred in, you know, Kenai Walker, CJ Colden, CJ Colden wasn't, or he didn't arrive until the summer. And so that's a, a kind of a later addition that might be able to make some noise on the, on the cornerback depth chart. Trey Morrison, a bit of a shorter guy probably factors in more in the slot or a kind of a rotational DB, but yeah, it's really, really interesting to see. And, and Jaden Davis name dropping uh, by Parker Thune on our episode you know, our last episode, I, I think that was a bit of a surprise for me. We didn't really get a chance to touch on that as we were talking more about the linebacker depth. But, yeah, I, I think he's got the veteran experience to be somebody that they could count on. Now, it's a whole new scheme. It's a whole new system that Brent Venables is bringing to Oklahoma. So maybe this is something that just fits his style better. And, and I think a lot of times we overlook that aspect is not every defensive player is tailor-made for every defensive scheme. Now, it's on the coaching staff to figure out the best way to fit a player into their scheme. But sometimes it's, you know, round peg and square hole. It just doesn't work. 
And for whatever reason, we just never got a lot of consistency out of Jaden Davis under Alex Grinch. But they've been very high on him. Brent Venables, Jay Valai, Ted Roof on Jaden Davis all offseason as somebody who does things the right way, shows up the right way, practices the right way. And having that experience, having the games played, the snaps, the, the tape where you can go back and see how things didn't go well and correct it, I mean, that is a bit of a benefit. I know, you know, the guy that got a lot of hype coming out of spring ball was Kanai Walker, but we really haven't heard his name said a whole lot uh, in fall. And so I, I, that leads me to believe that Parker's right on it and that it's going to be Jaden Davis that lines up on the opposite side of Woody Washington come Utah. And I would expect still plenty of DJ Graham, right? And we'll see about some of these other names, whether a CJ Colden factors in right away, uh, what happens for Joshua Eaton at Oklahoma now and into the future. Gentry Williams, what about him? Trey Morrison, I think at North Carolina, was somebody that played both corner and safety. He probably figures in more as a safety for OU, but we're going to see what Jay Valai and Brandon Hall want to do if they can mix and match, right? If you've got somebody that – or if you've got a couple of guys at safety in, say, Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman that you feel really, really good about – but maybe corner you're still shuffling and trying to find that perfect recipe, then then could a Trey Morrison or somebody like that slide over and, and work a corner for you? I, I don't know how all of that's working out for Oklahoma right now. It's interesting. Yeah, I think that Woody Washington is probably the one guy we feel really good about at corner for Oklahoma. I'll take uh, Parker Thune and his sources at their word and at face value that Jaden Davis is clearly one of the guys that's either going to start for Oklahoma or has impressed the coaching staff enough to where he's given DJ Graham a legitimate run for his money. The bottom line is this, those guys got to play better. We we've talked about it all off season, 109th and pass defense for Oklahoma last season. And we're going to find out if Jay Valai, if Brandon Hall, those two guys specifically, if they can tap into these players and quite frankly, just get them to perform better. And I think one thing that we hope is going to, be the part that fixes this is the defensive pass rush. I mean, they were really good at times last year, but again, like much of the defense, it was kind of up and down, you know, as great as Nick Bonito, Isaiah Thomas, Perry and Winfrey were, it wasn't a consistent thing. You know, there were, I mean, Oklahoma didn't face the cream of the crop of quarterback play in 2021. And as far as offensive line goes, I mean, outside of Baylor and maybe Oklahoma state, was there like a great offensive line that they faced? on their schedule? I don't think so. And yet there were times where it just didn't seem like Oklahoma could get much of a pass rush going. And maybe again, maybe that's a scheme thing. Maybe it was just Alex Grinch's scheme. One thing that I know frustrated Oklahoma fans to high heaven was watching quarterbacks playing 10 yards off on third and eight or, you know, second and five and stuff like that and giving up these cheap, easy things. But I think some of it just comes down to, they would get beat by the deep ball you know, whether it's a Quentin Johnston or Xavier Worthy, uh, Xavier Hutchinson up at Iowa State, you know, those guys would beat Oklahoma in the deep ball. And they just weren't a very good tackling team last year. Josh, you weren't on the show this time last year, but in the fall, I talked a ton about how poorly this team tackled, especially in the first half of the season. That's something that's got to be better. And I think if they can improve this, their tackling ability, that's going to improve their pass defense incredibly because so much of what, Oklahoma was giving up in the passing game were yards after catch. I mean, it was in the bubble screen game where, you know, they were getting those quick throws out to the wide receivers 
and those guys were making the first guy miss and making plays happen. We saw Xavier Worthy do that on the first play of the game in the Red River Showdown. And so if they can improve just that aspect alone, just team tackling, that's going to improve their pass defense a ton. But you're absolutely right. Whoever mans that outside cornerback spot opposite of Woody Washington, they're going to have to bring their game because teams are going to be less likely to throw at Woody, and they're going to be trying to throw at whoever's over there. And they're going to have to accept the challenge. Yeah, they're going to try and probably pick on whoever's not Woody Washington at the corner position. But even Woody Washington, I don't know that we come away and look, he had his injury concerns, obviously, last season. I don't know that right now. I mean, Oklahoma doesn't have a lockdown corner. And even, you know, all the positive things we could say about Woody Washington, he's got something to prove in 2022 as well. So just all of these guys in the defensive backfield, there's, yeah, you start with the the tackling on bubble screens like you're talking about there. That's one obvious area that they could improve, but they've got to contest better in the route running game for their opponents. I mean, I'd like to see them, you know, play a little bump and run coverage at times. I'd like to see them press a little bit and then just get more aggressive at the point of attack, find some PBUs. You know, who's going to be that guy? We saw DJ Graham make the spectacular one-handed catch interception versus Nebraska, but where's that day-to-day consistency? That's what Oklahoma has to find. And if they have, as a staff, found that in Jaden Davis and got back into it, because initially it's a long time ago, but initially looked like Jaden Davis was going to maybe be Oklahoma's next defensive secondary star at Oklahoma. And then obviously that just kind of didn't materialize moving forward. So can Jay Valai, can Brent Venables, can this defensive staff, can they find that in Jaden Davis, in Woody Washington, in DJ Graham, in any of these other names, CJ Colton coming over from Wyoming, who cares what it looks like? Just find a way to get that type of competitive play on the outside because Oklahoma, they've been sorely, sorely lacking that. And I think that's something that everybody's going to have to do is, everybody's going to have to step their game up on the outside, the linebacker group. I mean, Parker talked about the linebacker group being his biggest question. There's still questions about the defensive front, although we like the talent, we like the potential. And I think that's true for a lot of this defense. And I mean, the quickest way to get beat is by not having a cornerback that can cover and not having a guy that can at least disrupt the route process. Like you were talking about, if you can't, if you can't have a guy that can at least make it a bit of a challenge he doesn't have to be a lockdown corner, but he has to be able to win some reps on the outside. Then it doesn't matter what the rest of your defense looks like. You could have all Americans across the board, but if you have one guy who's just a sieve and is able to, is giving up, you know, 30, 40 yard bombs every time he's out on the field, that's going to make it really, really hard for your defense to play good team defense. But I think they've got at least some solid options that they can turn to. And I think this is going to be one of those things that we're going to see evolve throughout the season. And that's going to be, in particular, one of those positions that's going to have Jaden Davis or DJ Graham or Kanai Walker or CJ Colden or Gentry Williams or whoever else. I mean, they're, they're going to be – I mean, he, Davis might get the first crack at it, but if he doesn't hold up, then it's going to be, let's try the next guy. Let's try the next guy. So hopefully he holds up, and we got two guys that are solid on the outside that makes life a lot easier for the defense, especially that defensive pass rush. So – uh, coming up next, we've got some more bowl projections from ESPN that we want to talk about. But first, let me talk to you about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Like right now, you can go get in on Oklahoma's odds to win the Big 12 right now, plus 225. A narrow favorite over Texas that's plus 250. 
Or, hey, man, if you're looking for a long shot, I don't know. I'm kind of digging those West Virginia odds at plus 1,800. Uh, I mean, if you're really into some sicko bets, Kansas at plus 25,000, that might intrigue you as well. Or you can get in on Oklahoma's odds to win the national championship at plus 4,000. Hey, crazier things have happened in college football. Again, it's a long shot. I wouldn't recommend putting money on it, but if you like playing long odds with the chance to win big, go to Bet Online. Again, your number one source for all your sports betting needs, betonline.net. And thanks again, everyone, for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. The ultimate college football preview. It's here. It's a seven-episode preview with college experts, local team experts, and Odyssey College Football Insiders. It's everything that you need to be ready for the college football season all in one spot. So search for Ultimate College Football Preview on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Josh, more bowl projections coming down the pipeline from ESPN as we get ready for the start of the 2022 season. It's projection season. It is prediction time. Got to get those in before week zero gets underway. And the guys over at ESPN, this is uh, Mark, um, blanking on the names, Mark Schlaback and Kyle Bonagura. They've got the Oklahoma Sooners going to the All-State Sugar Bowl to take on former Big 12 and future SEC foe, Texas A&M. Your thoughts? Well, first off, it's interesting that they both see it playing out that way. And obviously with the Big 12's relationship with the Sugar Bowl, I mean, basically they're saying that Oklahoma is the Big 12 champion, but not making it into the college football playoff. One of the other predictions they had for a New Year's Six Bowl, I forget which one of the two it was, but they had Baylor in a New Year's Six Bowl. Obviously it uh, wasn't the Sugar Bowl right there because both both uh, gentlemen had Oklahoma playing in the Sugar Bowl. So that kind of gives you an idea, though, of where each of these two sort of see the – or how each of these two see the, the Big 12 playing out, probably coming down to Oklahoma and Baylor in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma winning said Big 12 championship, and then meeting up with who would be the number three team out of the SEC. Not Alabama, not Georgia, but Texas A&M, who, again, a lot of people are – Really, really high on. I'm a little skeptical about the quarterback play at Texas A&M, but, man, you think about if the season plays out that way for Oklahoma, I think that probably by year's end for year one of Brent Venables, we're saying, man, this was a big-time success for OU. They they won the Big 12 championship again. They got into a New Year's Six Bowl. And, you know, depending upon, obviously, what would happen hypothetically in that matchup versus Texas A&M, maybe – a little sign of what's to come for the Aggies from Oklahoma, letting them know, hey, this is how life's going to be when we get into the SEC. None of that uh, nonsense that we saw a decade ago with Johnny Manziel. So I'm here for it. I think that would be an exciting matchup if it comes to fruition. And ultimately, more importantly than that, this side of Oklahoma capturing national championship number eight, John, if they win the Big 12 championship, it's going to be hard, I think, for most people in year one to say, you know what, that was not a successful first campaign for Brent Venables. Yeah, I agree with that because I think if you get to the Sugar Bowl or you win the Big 12 championship, there's a good chance that you're right there on the verge, like on the edge of making the college football playoff. You know, in their projections, they've got, you know, the the usual suspects, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, going to the college football playoff. And so, I mean, that kind of, or yeah, that kind of rings true. Like, you know, this is not a surprise um, that Oklahoma could potentially be like that fifth, sixth team. 
if they're not able to make the college football playoff. I think in a year like this, there's a good chance that a one-loss Big 12 team doesn't make the college football playoff. I mean, if Georgia and Alabama are as good as they were last year, if Ohio State is able to get through the Big Ten schedule with just one loss and Clemson is is as good as people think that they're going to be and wins the ACC, I mean, that there's a good chance that Oklahoma could get left out. And that's not necessarily saying that you know their schedule is bad, but, I mean, their non-conference schedule is not great. And that could be one thing that does hurt them, you know, down the stretch. Aside from Baylor and Oklahoma State, there's not really a lot of like big powerhouse programs that they're going to be facing in the Big 12 on the Big 12 schedule. There's a lot of good teams and solid teams. But if, especially if Texas isn't ranked by the time they get to Red River, then Oklahoma's strength of schedule is going to be pretty weak. Um, and no, you know, no fault to themselves. Like they couldn't do anything about that. You win the games that are put in front of you, but it'll definitely have an impact if it comes down to Oklahoma versus Ohio state or Oklahoma versus Clemson for that number four spot, or even Utah. Like I saw, I think it was Josh Pate um, of the, the late kick show over at CBS sports. He projected it was Alabama, Ohio state, um, Georgia and Utah in the college football playoff. And I thought, well, Hey, I mean, Utah has got as good a chance as anybody of capturing that fourth spot. But I think, I think for the big 12 to feel really, really confident, about getting into the playoff, they'd have to have an undefeated team. Or Oklahoma would have to be just so dominant throughout their schedule. And even if it's they just have one loss, it's just kind of a fluky one, whether it's to Baylor or Texas, if they're dominant the rest of the, of the schedule, then they'll have as good of an argument as anybody else. But again, I think a one-loss Big 12 team may not move the needle enough to get the Oklahoma Sooners or the Baylor Bears into the college football playoff this year. Well, and ultimately it's going to, in some ways, boil down to what happens in the non-conference portion of a lot of these team schedules. I know that it's blasphemous, and I don't envision it happening, and I would take Alabama right here, right now, and, and I'll give the points over Texas. But hypothetically, if Texas wins that non-conference game and Texas is you know vastly improved this season or Baylor's really, really good and Oklahoma State is similar to what – if two of those three things happen – and also you mix in, you know, a non-conference loss to Alabama. I mean, that totally changes the complexion of the picture and how Oklahoma's schedule will ultimately get weighed or viewed. And obviously we'll see what Nebraska in their own right, Oklahoma's big non-conference game, who they wind up being. The other non-conference game I would look at that's going to have a lot of implications in terms of the college football playoff, John, for everybody else, Ohio State, Notre Dame. What happens there? If, if Ohio State wins that game, then probably – they can get into the college football playoff any way you slice it with one loss. If uh, they lose that game, then that sets the door up for Notre Dame to be kind of right there knocking on the door to get in. And for Ohio state now, all of a sudden, you know, you kind of have to run the table in the big 10 to get into the college football playoff. So some of those non-conference games and, you know, how those shake out across the landscape is going to have a lot to say about ultimately how this all plays out. Generally speaking. Yeah. If you're a one-loss Big 12 champion, you, you opened yourself up to probably getting left out. But we'll see, right? I mean, we just don't we don't know how any of this is playing out yet. Yeah, and back to your original point about whether or not that'll be seen as a success. I, I think most people, like 95% of Oklahoma fans, would view that as a successful season if Oklahoma ended up winning the Big 12 championship and going to the Sugar Bowl. I think – I mean, given all the turnover, given everything that's happened in the last nine months, yeah, we still have high expectations for the Oklahoma Sooners, but I think 
kind of Bob Stoops almost like, I feel like laid the groundwork for this in that like the first goal is winning the conference. You can't do anything unless you win the conference. And so that's kind of like that first expectation, that first goal. And there's no reason that Oklahoma shouldn't be able to win the conference. I think it'd be a bit disappointing if they didn't. I think people would understand if they didn't. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of like that level of expectation, get back to the conference title game and then win it. And then who knows, you just see what happens after that. But I, I don't think anybody would view it as a failure if Oklahoma didn't make it to the playoff in year one of Brent Venables. I think it would set the program up with a lot of really good feelings heading into 2023, especially if the recruiting class ends up potentially top three, like it might be trending toward right now. Uh, you know, next February National Signing Day. Speaking of recruiting, Josh, friend of the show here on Locked On Sooners, Heath Ozida just earned the four-star status in the 247 Sports Composite Database. The third player, that, or third commit that we've had on the show that's got a bump in their recruiting rating. First, Joshua Bates uh, got it, and then Jackson Arnold got his five-star status, and now Heath Ozida, man. And couldn't be happier for the kid. He just seems just like such a nice dude. Uh, when we had him back on the show, just really easy to talk to. Had a, a great time talking with him just about you know coming to Oklahoma and his recruitment process and all that. So go make sure you find that episode if you missed it. You can search that here on Locked On Sooners on the YouTube side or, or on the podcast side as well. It's in the feed. Just go find that, Josh. Just great news for that kid. All three of those Sooner commits, Josh, Jackson, and Heath, all awesome. We're all terrific and fantastic on this show but yeah congratulations to heath ozida well deserved uh you know hard work to get that fourth star and obviously great news really happy for him that obviously uh, he gets that type of recognition i mean you put that amount of blood sweat and tears into your craft yeah i ultimately does it change anything for oklahoma a, a little bit in terms of how the recruiting class will get you know weighted but ultimately it's more about Heath Ozida being rewarded for what he's done in that recognition that obviously he deserves in the hard work there. So happy for you, Heath. Congratulations. Yeah. And I think what it shows is like when Oklahoma is going after three-star players, they know what they're looking for and they see the potential and they see the talent, you know, it might not be something that everybody else is seeing at the, at the moment. And just because a player is a three-star recruit, it doesn't mean they're not good. A lot of times it's maybe they're just under recruited like an Eric McCarty who out of McAllister, Oklahoma, just a very talented football player. And the key word there is football player, like great running back, great linebacker safety over there from McAllister, but just not a lot of people know who he is. And so it's hard to you know develop that kind of recruiting um, reputation, you know, that reputation as a recruit, if people don't know who you are. And so like, to see more people kind of getting on the train for some of these Oklahoma commits, you know, especially the three-star guys like Joshua Bates and Heath Ozida, like that's huge, man. And, and I think what it goes to show is like the evaluation ability of a Bill Biedenbow in particular. He, he likes what he sees in these guys, whether they're three stars or four stars or five stars, he knows what he's looking for. He likes what he sees and he's going after him regardless of that star status. I think it's important too, to have a nice, little mix of both. I don't know that it behooves you, John, to have 20 to 25 all the way through the process, four or five star type recruits, right? I mean, I think it behooves you to have one or two guys that maybe, maybe were three star guys. And now all of a sudden they get bumped up 
or they stay a three-star guy and they come to Oklahoma and they develop and these four or five-star kids that come with them, they see these kids that, okay, maybe, you know, Brent Venables and Bill Biedenboe and this coaching staff, just using those two examples, the head coach and offensive line coach for Oklahoma, they see something that, okay, right now, physically, this player is not quite where ultimately they're going to be. And once we get them to that that destination, then look at what this ceiling for this player could be. I think that's healthy for a program, even like Oklahoma. And I know that fans at times say, I mean, come on, where's the four-star? Where's the five-star? We need more talent. We need more talent. I think the coaching staff kind of gets that you sort of need that blend of both to where the four- and five-star kids, they see a little bit of these other guys developing and coming along and honestly pushing them in some of these position battles ultimately at Oklahoma. So I think it's healthy. Yeah, 100% it is because we've seen what the recruiting kind of track record's been for Oklahoma. Like some of their best players weren't four-star guys or five-star guys. Look back to Sam Bradford, a three-star quarterback. Uh, I mean, you can go down the the list. And then, you know, so over at Sooners Wire, we have this kind of constantly you know running article of like the top 20 offensive recruits or offensive commits for the Oklahoma Sooners. And you go down that list and you're like, okay, not a lot, not all of these guys actually were hits. Like maybe like half didn't really hit for the Oklahoma Sooners. And so like you can have that five-star status. And I think one thing that I love Matt Campbell, when he talks about this, it's like, you know, we can have these three-star guys, but they've got five-star mentalities. And I think that's the thing that Brent Venables is going after. Like, yeah, he wants the five-star players, but they got to have the right mentality too. And so when they are recruiting three-star players, just know like they've got the right attitude that Brent Venables and his coaching staff want for this team, whether they've got three stars, four stars, or five stars. And so like we can look back at Oklahoma's history in the recruiting era and see just because it's a three-star player doesn't mean that they're not going to have a huge impact on this team when it all comes down to it. And, and I think Hito Zaida, like he's got the athletic profile to be a very, very good offensive lineman for the Oklahoma Sooners, especially if they're able to add some bulk to him. Cause the dude, he just moves so effortlessly out there at the left tackle position. Like, and he will punish some dudes. If you go look at his huddle, you know, highlights, like, please go do that. He, he moves like he's a basketball player. Like he just has that, that ease to his movement. He's not clunky. He's not kind of like, awkward he just he moves very very well he's like a i think he's like six 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 seven something like that and so you know this is a guy that i'm really really excited to see put the pads on when they get to spring because i think he's going to really surprise a lot of people well and the buzz out of oklahoma part of it throughout fall camp is that they've got a couple of young offensive linemen and jacob sexton and jake taylor that they think can help them maybe as early as this season right here in 2022 and maybe Heath Ozida, Joshua Bates, a couple of these guys, right. In this recruiting class, that's about to be uh, once they, they sign here in a couple of short months time, maybe those can guy, maybe those can be those types of guys moving forward for Oklahoma too. But ultimately we can certainly say this locked on Sooners. You hop on here. It's good vibes happening. That's right. That's right. So, Hey, make sure you all go check out some of our past episodes. We, you know, we've had, Jackson Arnold. We've had Joshua Bates. We've had Heath Ozida. We had Keon Brown, Caleb Hicks. So uh, no, we didn't have Keon Brown. Sorry. We had Caleb Hicks. Go check out some of those past episodes. If you missed our interview with Alex Taraco, you're new to the show and you didn't realize we had Oklahoma softball, softball transfer Alex Taraco on the show. Go check that out as well. A lot of great interviews we've had over the last couple of months here on Locked On Sooners. And we're 50 subscribers 
away from reaching 2,500. That's our goal before the start of the 2022 season, before week one. So help us get there. We've had a great year so far. We're on pace to surpass our numbers from last year by mid-September. So thank you so much. We are super grateful that you've jumped on the show with us and you're following along and enjoying the content we provide. Thank you so much for subscribing wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We're just we're, we're having a fun time talking Oklahoma Sooners football, and we can't wait for the season to get here so we can actually talk some football, like actual on-the-field football. I know, Josh, and I can speak for you when I say that too because talking season gets a little bit tiring, right? Yeah, we're ready to put the speculation season behind us and upset you and delight you with some of our reaction to what actually transpires on the field for Oklahoma and everybody else in college football. We need it. Come on, give us a death trial. We got to have it. Yeah. And, and to our number one UTEP fan, Jacob Cooksey, we're really looking forward to uh, September 3rd so we can finally put that discussion to rest. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to chatting again with you next time. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners, on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. Again, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Tell a friend. Make sure they go subscribe over on YouTube as well. For Josh Helmer, I'm John Williams. We'll catch you next time. Boomer Sooner.